0: Well, good morning, and uh, glad you are here today. Isaiah, if you just give me a little bit of light up here, getting older. Um, It's great to to have you here today. Uh, Beautiful weekend. Thanks, Paula. Thanks, Barry, for reading. Um, One of my uh, very good friends, uh, well, first of all, let me just tell you that I was driving to church this morning, and... uh, I was just imagining the the green grass and just imagining the, the trees that are going to uh, get green very quickly and uh, and I just uh, realized in thinking about that, that today's our birthday. I hadn't really thought about that, uh, but we are collectively 13 years old today as a congregation. So uh, glad I put a lot of thought into preparing us all for, for our birthday. Uh, but I thought as I was crossing the bridge this morning, this is, this is our birthday. We're 13 years old. We started with about 11 people. Then it went to 20 and went to 30 and went to 50 and 100 and so on. And God has blessed us with a, an awesome congregation. So uh, I think we ought to just give ourselves a hand. This is Happy Birthday Day. <laughs> Well, that was simple to celebrate that birthday, so... Uh, One of my very good friends is in Jerusalem today, and uh, I've been following him on on Facebook. Uh, He was in his shorts in Jerusalem, and I checked the temperature. It's 25 degrees in Jerusalem, uh, just a little warmer than it is in beautiful Edmonton. Um, And and his pictures reminded me of... uh, of our experiences in Jerusalem, uh, we were just minutes from making our descent into Tel Aviv, and uh, we were flying LL Airlines uh, 747, and and the plane was packed. There were just there were just all kinds of people returning to their beloved homeland for a visit or to stay, and uh, some of the robed uh, Orthodox Jewish priests started to stand and others stood as well as the plane began to enter into Israeli airspace. And then there were stern warnings that came from the captain uh, to those that uh, were standing and the the kind of the warnings went unheeded as these uh, these homesick people bowed and physically turned their bodies and their minds to the city of Jerusalem. And I don't think pilots, I think we've probably got some pilots out here today, they don't like it when half the plane stands and uh, you get that kind of feeling going on. So he was pretty stern, like, sit down. Um, but it was interesting, they didn't sit down. The plane, of, the plane became a place of worship. And after, f- finally, they came to the conclusion that they would take their seats and, and everybody did sit down. And we as seminary students kind of looked one an- at one another and we kind of opened our eyes and said, "Oh my, what are we in for?" knowing that uh, we were about to begin a very unique experience uh, in Israel and in Jerusalem, and it was kind of like, "Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Here we come." But you know, there is another story that has captured the hearts of people through the years, and it, too, finds its focus end in Jerusalem. And it captures uh, all of the emotions and the passions of people whose hearts are homesick. And they're, they're thrilled to be on a procession and they're headed to the very heart of what is important uh, in their lives. Now these were the glory days uh, years ago, perhaps in the day of uh, King Solomon Perhaps when the glory of Jerusalem was at its peak and dignitaries from all over the world would come to Israel to behold what was happening in this country. And to inquire of King Solomon because he was the wisest man on all the earth. And so it was amazing what was happening in their little land in those days. And here was a pilgrimage that had gained a a reputation through the years maybe up to 100, 200 kilometers from every part of the country uh, to, uh, to the city of Jerusalem, there was a pilgrimage. And uh, there was the, in Jerusalem the majestic temple that stood in all of its glory and splendor, the beautiful temple of King Solomon. Never again would the temple be constructed with such precision, such beauty, such attention as this very first temple that we call Solomon's Temple. This was the focal point. And so every year crowds would flock to Jerusalem from the feast for the Feast of Tabernacle. And they'd make their journey from all over Israel to the Holy City to worship at the temple. And they would stand at attention as they faced Jerusalem. And they would march with joy and passion with uh, no one instructing them to sit down. They were on pilgrimage. Their feet were on terra firma. And they loved their journey to the best place on the face of the planet, their own beloved city, Jerusalem. And their beautiful, beautiful temple. And Psalm 84, if you have your Bible this morning, your, your iPhones or whatever, Uh, Psalm 84 does a beautiful job of catching their hearts, their homesickness, their longing, their passion. Specifically, Psalm 84 captures the heartbeat of one unnamed pilgrim as he journeys to Jerusalem. And whoever that person is, whoever that unnamed person is, we owe a debt of gratitude because they remind us of what is so very important in pilgrimage, the pilgrimage of our souls to find meaning and significance. So as you have Psalm 84 uh, before you, can I just save you a little bit of time in looking at the passage and just tell you that there are three major stories within the story. There are three major happenings on the pilgrimage, and we'll give each of them just a little bit of airtime. Uh, But really, it's a very easy story to follow, and you won't get lost, honest. Just look at it this way. First of all, there's the journey of homesickness, the journey of homesickness. Uh, The writer wants to get home. Uh, Simple as that. Anyone here want to get home (laughs) to your roots? I prayed with a lady on Good Friday just over here, and uh, she told me she was going home to the Philippines for for 3 months or so. She said, "Would you pray for me as I go?" I, said, I would love to. She was so excited. A big wedding in her family, chance to see everyone again. And you know the Lord has blessed us with uh, people uh, who who have roots all over the world. And uh, we're so blessed to have them here where we can learn and grow and be enriched by our diversity. So, yes, this is a journey of homesickness, home to parents, home to roots, home to family. There's the desire to go home. Secondly, this is a journey of wonder. We often say, "How's your trip? And typically we're, we're quite happy to say it was uneventful, which means normal, no problem, routine, flights were good. But this pilgrimage has some wonder to it. It is eventful. There are some surprises. There, are, there is some interesting terrain to go through. And we never really counted on having to go through this part of the journey. So we're left spinning. We're left surprised. We're left holding our breath. We're, we're left wondering, can we get through this section of the journey? And then, of course, there's the journey of contentment. When you get to the end of the journey and the trip is worth it, and the the journey is deeply rewarding, it's been enriching, it's been satisfying, it's been well worth all the planning, it's been well worth all the effort. So, uh, got your hiking shoes? Would you you walk with me a little bit this morning? How badly do you want to get there? That's your desire. How prepared are you to trek through the desert part of the journey? That's the journey of wonder. And how grateful will you be when you actually get there? That's contentment. So, first of all, the the journey of uh, homesickness. Listen to the writer express his heart as he makes his way to the temple courts. How lovely! is your dwelling place, O Lord of Heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. Did you hear it? The pilgrim is homesick. He's homesick. He's so looking forward to getting to the temple. And so he says, with my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. I can hardly wait to go to the temple. I'm so pumped to enter into worship and give all that I am and all that I am with my whole being and body and soul. I will shout joyfully to the living God." Don't you love those kind of worshipers? Homesick worshipers, those who long to be with others those who long to exalt the name of the Lord God. Hey, friends, I love it when you worship. I really do. I love it when you enter in. I love it when you come on Sunday morning with homesick hearts, so looking forward to being in the presence of the Lord. Can you ever remember a time when you were homesick? I remember a time... first year of college I, w- I was only 17 when I left for college. I had a little black valiant and I got in my little black valiant and I traveled a, quite a few hours to my destination to go to college and when I got there for the first few, f- few days I couldn't quite figure it out that I was, I was not feeling on top of things. I didn't feel great and uh, I didn't realize that I was homesick so I'd never been homesick before and all of a sudden I was feeling homesick. The writer's homesick. He's, he's consumed with the desire to be in Jerusalem. I mean he's even jealous of the little swallows that swoop up and down all over the temple area. And he visualizes them as building their nests and hatching their young and, and they're near to the altar of sacrifice and he says in his heart those swallows have it so good. I wish I was a swallow. I wish I could could be like that. I wish I could be as close to God as they are. Now, certainly the temple was a beautiful sight, but he's not longing to be there simply because it was such a fine piece of architecture. He's longing to be in God's presence, continually praising him. He yearns for the living God, the Lord Almighty. He knows him personally, and he calls him my king, my God. It's like two lovers who want to go out for dinner together. I mean, it doesn't matter where they go. What matters is that they're together. And the place, the person you're with is far more important than the place you go you know there's something wrong in the relationship when the place becomes more important than the person. Can I remind you all this morning of, uh, of the journey that we're on? Uh, I expect you think of this journey a lot. In fact, uh, I hope every day the journey is, is uppermost in your mind. You're thinking about the journey. You're thinking about the journey. It's the journey of the soul. And I'm coming to a new appreciation of the word soul. It's the deepest part of who you are. It's the whole person. It's that part of you that integrates all of the rest of you into a single, whole life. It's your mind, it's your spirit, your heart. Of course, it's your body. And the soul, when it is healthy is homesick for God. The soul, when it's healthy, is homesick for God. Years ago my parents used to tell me that the winters were so bad in... uh, the blizzards were so bad in the winters uh, when they were growing up uh, that it was difficult sometimes to get from the farmhouse to the barn and that they used to have complete whiteouts and so to get to the 300 or 400 yards from from the house to the barn they they would often run a rope from the house to the barn so so no one would get lost in the blinding wind and snow and everybody would get back safe safely Wow, those are different winters than we're experiencing. Did we even have winter this year? But you know, there are blizzards in everyday life that can bring lostness and aloneness to our lives. Fear and anxiety and lack of integrity and deceit and indifference and addictions are just some of, the, some of the storms that prompt us to lose our way. And getting from start to finish, getting from start to finish on the journey of life, we can get lost and our soul can lose its moorings. And we do a lot of things to hold onto the rope, but it seems that we have come to believe that we are better off dealing with self than with soul. Do you know what I mean? We've learned to try to fix the self, improve ourselves, and we have learned lots along the way, and there's some great tools out there, but we've also missed the rope and we've neglected the soul. And I think you hear me this morning, it's fine to take care of yourself. It's good to believe in yourself. It's good to fulfill yourself. I don't mean it's not. But it's much better, it's much better to get to the temple. It's much better to get to Jerusalem. It's much better to get to God and find him to be the satisfying source of all the good things for our lives. To take care of the soul more than to take care of self I hope you understand. I think if you take care of the soul you will have the best tools to look after the need for affirmation, to look after the need for validation, to, need, to look after the need for encouragement and for value and the need for personal rights. When we give due attention to the soul It doesn't mean that we neglect the practical things like career or health, thinking perhaps, oh, there's separate components over here and we'll just attend to those later. No, the soul is at the center of them all. It is our approach. It's asking the right questions. The question is not so much, how could I be successful at my work? We all ask that question. But the better question is, how can I journey with God in my work? How can I be a kingdom builder in the place where God has put me amidst all of the stress that I carry, all of the stress that comes our way corporately? How do we do that? In fact, your soul can be all right when everything in the world is all wrong. How's your soul? No, no, really how's your soul? if you've gotten preoccupied or distracted do you feel that? do you feel it in your soul? I'm missing God I'm missing time with God I'm missing worship I'm missing the intimacy I don't hear God I don't sense He speaks to my heart I feel like he's so far away. How is your soul? What the soul needs more than anything else is God. A deep homesickness for God. You homesick? Maybe saying, actually I wish I was more homesick than I am. I really wish I was. I've gotten used to an unhealthy soul. The soul needs God more than anything else. We may try to fill that soul with every every other thing you can imagine. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. That'll surely make me okay. But the soul will never be satisfied without the one who made us. And the writer of the psalm experienced that too. He said, my soul yearns, even faints, For the courts of the Lord, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. So first of all, uh, the journey of homesickness. And so the pilgrim, if you can picture, is making his way to Jerusalem, excited to get to the temple, not because of the temple, but because it represents God's wonderful presence. How homesick are you? Secondly, the journey of wonder. The road to the temple sometimes leads through the valley of weeping or the valley of Baca. Sometimes the journey is eventful. I, I don't even need to raise that as a question. Have you ever entered the valley of Baca? Because it's for almost for all of us, it's a reality. I mean, how many here today are going through the valley of weeping? So visualize, if you will, this pilgrim making his way to Jerusalem. He's moving along. His heart is joyful. The verse 5 says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who've set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem... But yes, now they come to a part of that pathway that leads through the valley of weeping. Baca. Now, is this metaphorical? Is there actually a a geographical region? Difficult to really know the answer on that with certainty. I wouldn't doubt there there was. Uh, For sure we should see it metaphorically uh, because it's very much a part of every life, every life, there seems to be a Baca. When, you, when they walk through the valley... Of, listen to this. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. Now, there's promises here. The autumn rings, rains will clothe it with, with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. So while it's a hard place, there's a lot of promises here. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. I think we ought to take note of that. I love the phrasing of the New International Version. They will go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Like exercise, uh, the more you engage, the stronger you get. But it's hard to get out there and exercise. But when you do, you get a little stronger. And you get a little stronger. And, and, and like overcoming a personal struggle or a personal attack. You win one battle, you claim that turf, you get a little confidence and you win the next battle and then you win the next battle. But it's seldom that we win this little battle and then we go and fight a big battle over here. We win them one at a time, one at a time. You know, it's a blessing to finally get to our destination But there is also a blessing on the road. There's blessing on the road through the valley of weeping. It doesn't always feel that way when we're passing through. A man told me years ago that the greatest blessing is in being broken. I remember exactly where I was sitting and I I heard that. And I nodded. Like, I, I don't dispute that. But I didn't feel it in my heart. But when brokenness came... and I discovered what he said was true. There's blessing on the road and we grow stronger. And none of us want it, but we move from strength to strength. And the road through Baka helps to form us and shape us. And there is no other road like it John Ortberg has written a book called Soul Keeping and he dedicated it to his friend Dallas Willard who passed a year a number of years ago. And and the book has been significant in my life. Amidst the hectic pace that John keeps, he went to Dallas Willard, this awesome theologian and philosopher, to inquire of him how to have a sane, well-ordered life. And I'm paraphrasing here. Willard said this, You must arrange your days so you are experiencing deep contentment and joy and confidence in your everyday life with God." And John said, huh? John said, no, I'm asking, I'm thinking, how do I help my congregation, how do I help our people to be more committed? And Willard said, John, I know what you're thinking, but that's not what they need most. The main thing you will give your congregation, just like the main thing you'll give to God, is the person you become. So if your soul is unhealthy, you can't help anybody. You don't send a doctor with pneumonia to care for patients with immune disorders. You and nobody else are responsible for the well-being of your own soul. You and nobody else are responsible for the well-being of your own soul. John said, I try to have a quiet time. Willard responded, it's not the 15 minutes of quiet time I'm talking about. It's the next 23 hours and 45 minutes. You must arrange your days so that you're experiencing total contentment and joy and confidence in your everyday life with God. I mean, it doesn't mean you're completely adequate in all you do. You try to give your best, but you you are confident in God. That is what makes a soul healthy. And it isn't your spouse's responsibility or your elders or anybody else because you're the keeper of your soul. And sometimes in walking through the the valley of weeping, we recognize anew that I have a choice. I mean, I can go from weakness to weakness or I can go from strength to strength. I can be the keeper of my soul and trust God through the valley or I can grow alienated and edgy and bitter because of this whole thing. I've never run a marathon, and expect I never will. <laughs> no. But there are probably, and I know there are some among us here this morning who have, men or women who run marathons drink a great deal of water on the way. You ever seen one of those guys or gals stop and drink a cup of water? Maybe just sort of sit with you for a little bit and have a little chat, stop everything. No way! They grab a cup, chug it down, throw the cup away, and hardly break stride. Why? Because they know where they're going. Their direction and purpose is set, and their heart is focused on pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. When we face difficulties, when we walk through the Valley of Baca and it never seems to end, what will keep us going in the right direction? Certainly the Holy Spirit must do a work in our lives. He's the one who gives us a homing instinct for God. Yet there's something we can do. And it's found in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Oh, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have, listen to this, set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And a marathon runner sets their minds on the marathon. If they don't get their minds right before they start the marathon, they're beat. It's getting the mindset right away. They have their minds on a marathon on a pilgrimage, a clear vision of where you're going. And then humble dependence as well. It's dependence, it's a walk of faith, it's it's God reliance rather than self-reliance. It's moving from strength to strength, from hill to hill, from valley to valley. So in every life there is a journey of wonder. Oh, and wonder may be a soft, a very soft term for you, you who are in the valley of weeping, but it's a reminder that there are surprises along the way. How eventful is your journey? How's your soul being kept in the valley? And then thirdly, the, the journey of contentment. The journey of contentment. If you've been reading this book for a while, you'll recognize some familiar words. And we were singing about it this morning. Glad we chose that song. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Have you ever said this? I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Verse 10. Uh, I know you probably said it in jest as you opened a door. I'd rather be a doorkeeper and you opened for somebody to walk through with a big box. But I'm not sure that counts right here. In verses 9 to 12, the section is cast as the pilgrim arriving at his destination and everything he imagined about being in the presence of God is realized. Everything. Have you ever thought about being in the presence of God in the future? I'm sure we all have. Now is good, but just wait. Just wait till you get to heaven. The presence of the Lord is around us today. Uh, I mean, on on this beautiful day, we walk outside and we experience the beauty of his His creation. It's a beautiful day. I'm so glad you came to church. I'm so glad you didn't go golfing. I'm I'm so glad when you got up this morning, you never thought about anything else other than It's a beautiful day out there. Of course I'm going to church. You just thought of that instantly. There was no question of anything else. Didn't you? Yeah. I read this statement this week and it, it brought a smile to my heart. There's all the difference in the world between waking up in a single bed and waking up in a double bed with nobody on the other side. Many in our Western culture may be atheists or agnostics, but they still find themselves wondering why the other side of the bed still feels warm and the sheets a little rumpled. And I think that's true in ways that were not the case even 10, 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. The evidence of his presence is all around us. We can choose to ignore it or re-explain it, but the sheets are a little rumpled. And this beautiful day is just another reminder of God's presence. Yes, and one day we will arrive at our destination. And you know what? It'll be better than you ever, ever, ever imagined. And the writer is saying he wouldn't trade one day one day in God's presence for anything on earth I mean if somebody gave you a free trip to Hawaii or to the Mediterranean beaches or the most beautiful spot on earth sounds good yet he says I'll just take one day I'll just take one day in your courts above any of that are your children uh, at the stage where they ask why 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 driving in your car with the kids in the back seat. And Why is the flower red? Why is the flower blue? What makes this car go so fast, Daddy? Where do babies come from? Oh. All those fascinating questions. And you know, the disciples used to ask Jesus lots of questions. Sometimes they asked, Hey Jesus, what do you mean in a little while? in a little while and maybe Jesus got tired of their questions I doubt it it's the question of every human heart as we travel the road from here to our final destination you know I love it when we're about to get off the plane coming home to our city welcome to Edmonton if this is your home or wherever your final destination may be I love that wherever your final destination may be I want to pop up to sort of answer that But yes, it's through the valley of Baca that we have a lot of questions. Hey Jesus, why does this little boy have cancer? Hey Jesus, why did all those people have to die in Belgium? Hey Jesus, in Pakistan, why did 67 people get killed with that crazy bomb? Hey Jesus, When will the terrorism end? When will the fighting stop in Syria? Hey, Jesus, why did my child reject me? Hey, Jesus, why did I lose all this money in a business deal gone wrong? And Jesus says, one day, in a little while, in a little while, things won't be right for a while. Yeah, you'll see terrible things terrible, hunger and illness and war and injustice and violation of rights and corruption and every gate scandals all the time. Then in a little while, it may seem like eternity to you, but it won't be long, I'm coming back. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. For the Lord God is our son and our shield. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. What joy for those who trust in you. Will you close your Bibles for a moment or your iPhones or Androids, whatever it is. Just bow with me for a moment. Are you ready for the journey? Are you on the journey? Distracted from the journey? Need to get more intentional about the journey? Life is a journey. How often we say that and how true it is. H- have you started the soul journey toward God? Are you, are you right these days in the valley of weeping? What do you need? What do you need? Do you need some prayer and support today? Do you need somebody in life to just to kind of walk alongside like the skit guys? Like, just, just be there. At the end of the service, we'd be happy to pray for you if you'd like some support through prayer today. We'd be honored to do that. So, Lord, thank you that uh, uh, one of your servants, whoever that was, wrote Psalm 84 years ago. They really had some amazing insights into their journey with you. And it's always a, a, a reminder for us to check the journey that we're on so thank you for reminding us through scripture written those 3,000 years ago of, of the journey that we're on today. And, and on your journey, Lord, give us a deep homesickness for you. And when our road goes through Bacca, uh, I'm glad you don't leave us. That in fact you come even closer. Uh, Lord, if we... Yeah, if we need someone, Lord, to remind us of that, may, it be, may there be people that you send. Lord, for those in the valley of weeping today, let them know that you're right there and come and strengthen their hearts today. And Lord, I pray and thank you for the wisdom and care that you have for every person here. I'm so glad that no one escapes your watchful eye. None of us can kind of slide down in our seat and say he doesn't see me. He sees every one of us and he loves every one of us and his kindness leads to repentance for which we are grateful in Jesus' name.